Look at Luke chapter 12, verse 35. This is way back. We haven't looked at verse 35 for like three or four weeks. But I like to go back a little before we go forward. It's kind of what we do. That's why we make such great time. Verse 35, Luke 12, he says this. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. What in the world? Jesus looks at his listeners, his followers, his disciples, and he says, light up your lamps, get fired up, and put your belts on. Take your robes and cinch them up. Okay, get ready to work, get ready to fight, get ready to run. And he's using these as kind of fighting words because that's exactly what's happening. We're in a battle. And I forget, you forget, we kind of just lay down our arms at times. Ah, whatever, it's not a big deal. Just let that one slide and the devil says, cool, I like that. And Jesus shows up, he says, light your lamps, put your belt on, we're doing stuff. And what Jesus has in this entire text is a passion and an urgency for the things of God. A passion and an urgency for the things of God. And if there's anything the devil can get you and me to do that he would love more than anything else is to just not be passionate and to not be urgent for the things of God. I'll deal with that tomorrow. I'll deal with that later. That's not such a big deal. I think the price is right is on. Whatever the case is, I'd rather do something else. Maybe not crazy weirdville, but just something nominal. This is what I deal with all the time. He doesn't try and tempt me to get nuts and go wild. He just tempts me to do nothing. Just a whatever, veg out and watch some TV or shows. And there's nothing innately, boom, sinful with that. But if you don't have a passionate urgency for the things of God, you just have to ask yourself why. What in the world is it? Jesus said, gird up your waist, man. Light your lamps. And then he went on to, when we studied this last week, use illustrations that would help us to understand our distractions. He said, you guys can't even tell the weather what's happening tomorrow. High technology back then. Oh, there's a cloud. Must be rain. Good job, you know. Smarty pants. Did you feel that? That's warm wind. I bet it's hot tomorrow. Oh, wow. You're the new forecaster. And he said, you guys can tell what's coming tomorrow, but you can't even discern the very time you live in spiritually. And he brought the accusation against them that they were distracted by the weather and lesser things. Here's what he said to them in verse 57. Matter of fact, he says, yes. And why, even of yourselves, do you not judge what is right? Stop right there, eyes up here. Do you not judge what is right? Jesus asked him, don't you guys know what's right? It's kind of a cool question. It's a, it's a compliment, really. He's like, you know what's right. You guys, you, know, you guys aren't dummies, is what he's saying. Like, you act dumb, but you're not dumb. You know what I'm saying? Most of us in here are not dumb, but most of us in here act dumb. Can I get an amen? See? tricked you that was fun you're not dumb but if you're like me man you do dumb stuff and jesus says, don't you know what's what's right and, and i believe god has given to each one of us a knower a knower that is connected to heaven and your knower knows what's right you just do you just have something in you and especially the nearer you get to the lord you just know what's right and you also conversely know what's wrong you know it here's the problem is you also don't only have a knower deep within you you also have a very vast supply of rebellion that doesn't want to do what you know to do you know exactly what to do you know exactly what not to do but you don't want to do it because you're a rebel as a matter of fact raise your hand if you still have some rebellion left in you raise your hand if you still are a rebel okay the rest of you who did not raise your hand, you're so rebellious. You didn't even raise your hand. You're like, I ain't doing that. I ain't, you know, thank you for that. That was very clear. And Jesus here says, you know what to do. And he gives the illustration then. Here's what he does, and this is where we ended last week. 
He says, do you not judge what is right? Verse 58. He says, when you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. Stop right there, eyes up here. He says, when you're in trouble, you know what to do. You're not dumb. You have an opportunity to talk to the one you've offended. Fix it before you get to court. You don't want to go to court. And Jesus here with a passion and an urgency is saying, guys, get things right. What are you waiting for? Well, I'll just go to court and see how it goes. Don't do that. You're guilty. The evidence is in. We all know it. You know it. It's a done deal. But if you can, go to your adversary. That is the one you have made your enemy. And you can fix it. Do it. Don't you know how to do this? He says, you know what to do. As a matter of fact, if any of you here were about to uh, suffer jail time, if any of you were, were condemned, you got the subpoena or the judge called or you knew, and yet there was some things you could do to prepare yourself or to relieve yourself from that sentence, you would do everything possible to avoid jail. Everything possible. Call a lawyer. Call your mom. <laughs> you call some, ah, you know. Everything possible to avoid jail time. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. That's what you guys would do, but what about the eternity separated from God? What are you doing about that? Is there an urgency? Is there a passion for the things that might separate you from God forever? Because you would not just lay down when things are going against you on the temporal, and that is what his accusation against them was. He says, take every effort in order to do what you need to do to find yourself alleviated from that condemnation. Now, this urgency and passion is kind of the main idea of the message here because Jesus is asking us not to delay, to get on with it, to get with the program. And we're people of passion, aren't we? I mean, you guys are passionate. Everything, every single person here is passionate, and you have an urgency for stuff, don't you guys? You guys are hobbyists. Some of you guys hunt, and when hunting season comes, like, you go to bed with camo on your face, you know? And your wife's like, why do you do that? You know, camo on the bed and all that. And you have things that you're passionate for, and there's an urgency, whether it's a season, a fishing season, or golf, or maybe you sew or craft, or there's an event, or your favorite band's in town. We all know what it's like to, man, get excited about something, Here's my question for you as Christians, because it's a 6 p.m. church service. That's where we're at, in case you don't know. What are you passionate for as it pertains to your relationship with God? What's your driving passion as a believer? Okay, there's women here, there's men here, there's young people, old people, singles, married. You're all different, okay? Just like not everyone here is a hunter, not everyone here is a car guy or gal, not everyone here loves sports. Those who are do, and that's, just do it. That's cool. Good job. What is your passion, though, for the Lord? And what if you don't have one tonight? What if you're just like, I don't really have one, okay? Just write that down. I don't really have one. And ask the Lord to give you a passion and an urgency to settle the things between you and God and then to live on purpose that your life might count, that you might redeem the days and the dollars that God has afforded to you. Okay, what, what, what causes you to burn brightly? And what are you fighting for? As he said, gird up your waist. Again, at the men's conference yesterday, I was dealt with my heart was dealt with and the lord dealt with me in the areas of my allegiance and my discipline and my commitment to him it was cool i was like thank you lord yeah that's what i want to do i want to be fired up i want to be ready to roll at any time and yet my flesh i still have some so do you it just wants to relax back off stay out of weirdville easy not hard stay out of weirdville but are you are you living passionately for the lord 
And Jesus says, you guys know what to do. You know how to do this. And I'll tell you what, uh, I talk to people uh, about the Lord all the time. I'm an evangelist, and, and I don't have a problem talking with non-believers or nominal believers or antagonistic non-believers or antagonistic nominal believers. Or well, I don't have a problem. But I'm always surprised at the laziness and the non-responsiveness that I get from people about the things of God. When soul issues and eternal issues come up and people have responses like, well, I'll, I'll deal with that later. I'm not really into God right now. I kind of got my business going and I got other things. I'm going to deal with that later. <laughs> What's well, such a gamble? You don't know if you have a later. Deal with that now and then run your business at the same time. Don't wait. Don't delay. Don't postpone. Get right right now. Why would you avoid that? You would never postpone talking to your lawyer to avoid jail time. I talked to some people about their relationship with God and the things of heaven. And they say things like this. Me and the Lord have a unique relationship. He knows my heart. And I'm like, yeah, that's why he's mad at you, you know, because he knows your heart. Like, don't tell me he knows your heart, and that's a good thing. The Lord knows my heart, too, and that's why I kneel before him. I'm like, yeah, ah, search me, ah. If, you think, if you're here tonight and you're like, yeah, I have a good heart, like, what are you? No. You need mercy and grace. And he says, that's what I'm offering you right now. Come to me and I'll give you grace. My kindness leads you to repentance. And that's what Je and Jesus is right here with these people. There's thousands of people always saying this. Guys, you need to gird up your waist and be passionate for the things of God. I talk to people from time to time and they say crazy things like, you know, I'm, a, I'm at peace with God. We, we have peace. And they say, I don't have a problem with God. And I say, well, does... Does he have a problem with you? Because you might not have a problem with him, and you might be at peace with him, but I'll tell you what, according to the teachings of the Bible, you've offended him. You've offended him by nature and action. And you, until you have reconciled through his son, Jesus Christ, are his enemy. Well, I don't hate God. I didn't. I'm going to repeat myself. You have offended him. And you might not have a problem with him, but he, unfortunately, until you say, I surrender to you, he has a problem with you. And he has given to us the age of grace right now to reconcile. You guys realize that while God has enemies, those who have offended him and have not been forgiven, God wants those enemies to be forgiven, and he wants to include them in his family. That's what he wants. He doesn't, he's not bringing the hammer down, okay? He's not, he's, he is resisting the hammer coming down for many thousands of years that more and more people would be saved. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 that the Spirit of God will not, though, strive with man forever. There will be a too late. There will be a no more. And he asks you and asks me, guys, don't mess, don't blow it, don't, don't miss it. Life is so precious. And you might have peace with God, but you need to make sure that when the Lord looks at you, there's peace in his eyes. The book of Revelation describes the eyes of Jesus as flaming fireballs. Like, you want to make sure that that's for you, not against you. And it's a free offer. He's like, hey, I can be for you or against you. There's, there's no neutral. Jesus here wants them not to get distracted. And some of these people were followers. They were listeners. They were ready to go. Yet they were far distracted by lesser things. And I think that's probably this group here tonight. We are followers, okay? I need to, let me just underscore something here. If you're saved here tonight, if you have repented, you're saved. It's a done deal. If you have trusted Jesus Christ for your salvation and, and you are born again, it was him that born you again. It wasn't you, okay? It was him that saved you. You are saved and born again. You can't unborn yourself again, okay? You can't unsave yourself. Now, you can become a squirrely, rebellious, little snot-nosed kid again, do some stupid stuff, okay? 
I got three kids. You ever take your young kids across the street, and they kind of like throw a tantrum? Like, I don't want to hold your hand. You're like, I didn't ask. And you grab that hand, and you're walking across the street, and here comes a car, and the kid doesn't know nothing. They're kids. And, and you're the dad, and here comes a car. And if you were to let go of that kid that wants you to let go, it's going to go bad for them. And so what do you do as a dad? You pick him up and carry him, one hand, you know. <laughs> I don't care, because it's better than them dying. <laughs> and you save their lives. And so, too, God says, if you're in my hand, if we're father-son, okay, father-daughter, I'm never going to let you go. That's what Jesus said. You'll never be let go. What if I kick and scream? <laughs> he'll, he'll walk you through it. He'll get you where you need to go. And I believe that if you are saved here, you are good to go. And God wants you to understand that. And yet we do find ourselves, as kicking and screaming little snot-nosed kids from time to time, distracted. Okay, lesser things. Especially in our current culture, this affluent age of Christendom, in, in America at least. It's so easy just to, like I said, stay out of weirdville. Don't be a weirdo. But it's also so easy just to become lukewarm, neutral. Not, not hot or cold. Just kind of, Matter of fact, I had a missionary from India come share with our college group in Ashland one time. He's in heaven now. He died. And as he shared with us, he had just received message from one of his co-laborers in India, just hours before he shared that Monday night at 7 p.m. And he had just received word that one of his co-laborers was murdered, okay, for being a missionary in India. And that was what he was dealing with. This was normal. He's like, oh, snap, he's dead. And he told us that his buddy just got murdered. And then he went on to say something crazy. He said, hey, I want to pray for you guys who are in America because you guys have it really bad. It's really dangerous for you guys here in America. And he had just lost a homie. And he said, the reason it's bad for you guys is because here in America, it's gray. In India, it's black or white. You're in or you're out. You're on fire or you're cold. In America, you, you just can slip and slide. And there's a great temptation. And he was processing the death of a loved one who was serving God with fire. And he said, you guys need to be very careful here in America, lest you become distracted by lesser things. And this is the accusation Jesus brings, the advice that he would ask for you and for me not to get sucked into the smaller things of this world and then become nominal towards our relationship with him. We tend to divert our attention to lesser things and we get distracted about the short-term future instead of planning for the long-term future. And most of us in here, I'd say some, but most of us in here check our phones throughout the day more often than we check our own hearts. Even earlier today, I was just processing this, and I found myself just on my phone, just Facebooking, you know, sprained my thumbs, you know, I didn't really sprain my thumb. And the Lord just said, what are you doing? I was like, oh, this ain't, just wasting my time. I'm just wasting my time. It's so cool that the Lord just lovingly held my hand while crossing the road. And we can get prepared for seasons in our life that show up, you know, and the springtime comes and we get busy. How many of you guys are passionate right now for spring? You're doing stuff in your yard and you're, you're cleaning stuff and you got garage, you know, stuff. You're just, you're doing stuff. Hey, raise your hand if you're doing stuff. I'm passionate, okay? The rest of you are lazy bums. That's okay. And, uh, and it's springtime, man. I get excited, you know. I clean, I sweep, I pull weeds, dude. And I just get crud, plant stuff. It's that time of year. It's passion. It's exciting. And the Lord said, that's cool. Why? Because we know in Newport that spring is coming, and then spring will, will turn into summer, which will be one day long. Okay, it's one day. We only get one day, and then it's winter right after that in August and Newport. But we, we know how to plan. We, we can figure out what to wear and how to schedule, and Jesus is saying, don't forget, don't forget. Look what happens in verse 1 of chapter 13, moving, moving on. It says, there were present at that season 
Some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now stop right there. I said, Peter, what in the world just happened there? Jesus is saying, well, if you're on your way to the judge, settle out of court, man. Deal with it. Deal with it. Don't get distracted by the weather. Stay focused. Stay hot. Stay vibrant. Stay bright. And someone's like, hey, did you just see CNN? That's what they say. Someone's like, did you just watch Fox News? Did you just watch MSNBC? Did you just read the emails? Did you just? And then someone asked him, Lord, what about those people who were murdered by Pilate? This is a political, newsworthy story that these guys want to use as a distraction from the things of eternity and the weight that Jesus is putting on their own souls. Did you know that nothing has changed? Nothing has changed. We love the news. This, this story right here, some people were worshiping God, and some murderers came into that service sent by Pilate, this corrupt governor, this occupier, and murdered these worshipers. Have you ever seen that in the news where people go to church and get murdered in doing so? It's not new, just so you guys know. It's not a gun problem. It's a heart problem, just FYI. And here, though, the distraction comes up. And they ask this question. And evidently, by Jesus' answer, there was more to the question because Jesus got offended. Because the question they ask is, Lord, what about the ones who are worshiping there in Galilee? And they, or the Galileans that were worshiping, and they got murdered. And evidently, what they're saying is, is because something bad happened to them while worshiping, they must be bad people. Jesus got offended at that. Look at his answer. Verse 2. And Jesus answered and said to them, do you, do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. And then he turns it back to them because they wanted the tension diverted. But unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. Then Jesus brings another news topic into the scenario. Verse 4. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you all will likewise perish. Stop right there, eyes up here. Again, these people are trying to distract themselves with the news and with the current events and politics from what God is doing in their own heart. And nothing has changed. This is exactly how it is. We're so distracted with news apps and what's happening. And even Facebook is local news, if you would. I just want to see what other people are doing. I want to see what other people, I want to see if other people are having a great time. I kind of like to see when other people are having a bad time. It makes me feel like I'm having a good time. And if people are having a good time, I'm having a bad time until I find somebody who's having a bad time. Then I say I'm having a good time. You know, just keep scrolling until you find that perfect post. It'll change your life. And you know what we like the news? You know, we like to read the news, the headlines and the stories. The reason we like to read the news is because at the end of reading the news or watching the news, we realize that we're not on it, okay? And it makes us feel good. Like, yeah, not me. All those other crazy people. Crazy things happening here, crazy things there, and none of it have my name. Yes. It makes you feel better about yourself, superior. And it's a distraction from, listen, your own heart. It's a distraction from the, the things that God wants to deal with in you which can freak you out. I don't want to talk about me. Lord says, I'd love to talk about you. I'd love to minister to you. I'd love to heal you. I'd love to take care of you. What about them? What about that? What about Pilate? What about the government? It's not your problem. It's really not. It's not your issue. It's not your problem to deal with that, but your problem is you. We love ignoring our own heart and our own issues and just looking at other people's and I would just say this tonight. Some of us don't have a, a proper sense of urgency and passion for the things of God. 
We just don't. Not for how much he is worth, for who he is, for what's happening right now. You've got passion for other things. You can see springtime coming. You know you got to do projects, and you got a vacation planned, and you got all these things, and you know, okay, i got all that figured out so I don't look dumb when that day shows up. Okay, you guys got calendars, don't you? And so you know where to be and where not to be. You know how to get there. You figure it out. And the Lord says, hey, don't, don't, don't forget to plan for my return. Watch and wait and let other people know I am going to return soon. That's the lifestyle of the believer. And there are people who dabble a little bit in church. You go from time to time. Or maybe you pick up the Bible once or twice a year. Or you, you pray when you're in trouble. And you haven't settled your accounts. You don't really know. You're not in Weirdville, so you're pretty happy. But you're not committed to the king of kings who will one day show up and look for his people. And one day when he shows up and gives the call for his people, you might not recognize that call. You might not know his voice because you haven't been spending time with him. And his urgency to us is do not delay. And he's actually willing tonight to meet with you, to settle those accounts, to make his relationship with you one, to give you a purpose. Somebody evidently interrupts him and asks about this question. And Jesus does a few things. Number one, he refutes this idea of karma. Uh, the idea of karma is that bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people. And if bad things happen to good people, they were evidently bad people. Let me just underscore a few things. There are no good people, okay? Okay, there are worse people than worse people. That's about it, okay? We're all sinners, and there are some sinners who are better sinners than, than others. You've met them before, you know? You ever been a real good sinner? You ever had that season in your life where you're just, man, you're pro-style, like you're the captain of the team? And then when you're not the captain of the team, you're still a sinner, and what happens invariably is that tragedy hits, and we ask questions. Why did this happen? What about the Galileans? What's going on? They were worshiping, and they died. And we're here worshiping. We're Galileans, too, in this story. We're not dead. Are we better than them? That's the idea. This is why karma is so dangerous. Okay, it's, it's, by the way, it's foolish. It's wrong, unfounded. Okay, it's impossible. It's a joke, and it's mean. Okay, it's insensitive, because when something bad happens to a seemingly good person, people ask that question, I wonder what's going on behind the scenes. And the lack of empathy and compassion towards somebody who suffers tragedy, okay? And Jesus says, no. No, they're not worse Galileans than all Galileans. What's wrong with you? And then he switches it. Unless you repent, you're going to suffer as well. Whoa, we're talking about me again? Ooh. And he brings the spotlight back to their hearts. And the reality is this. All of us are sinners. We're all bad people on the scale, okay? By nature and action. Born, broken, and proved it quickly. And we're all going to suffer some tragedy. It's just the, it's the way the world's broken. You know that, right? Next time you suffer tragedy, don't go down that road of why. Okay? Just go back to Genesis 3. Genesis 3 said, hey, by the way, the world's jacked up right now. Genesis 3, boom, to the end. It's all messed up. My son is coming. Look to him. Genesis 3, 15. That's what it says. But it's all messed up. Pain for the man, pain for the woman, pain in families, pain everywhere. Everybody's bad. Everybody's going to suffer tragedy. Everybody. Okay? To whatever degree. And then he goes on to say, everybody needs to repent. Everybody. Not just Galileans and Judeans and those dwelling in Jerusalem. Okay, the whole, the, these guys are like, hey, we're, maybe what they said to him earlier, like, we're Abraham's kids. We're good. And he's like, blah, 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 blah. He wasn't impressed. He's like, no, you know, that doesn't, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. You need to repent. 
And this idea of repentance is not popular. Yeah, it's not something we, we hear a, a lot of. As a matter of fact, people don't like to talk about repentance. Preachers don't preach on repentance. Christians don't get in small groups and talk about repentance. There are a few exceptions, of course. As a matter of fact, I actually have a group of people, uh, guys and gals and friends and peers and superiors and, and people that I lead that they do, they do repent, okay? I think this, church, this is a great church. It's a great bunch of people. You guys do want to grow. You do want to repent. You don't want to just stay in you know, neutral. I've got people that seek me out and say, Luke, I need to work on my life. I'd like to repent. I'm like, yeah, let's get fired up. Let's do it, dude. What the heck? Take the trash out. And yet, by and large, you're not going to get that in the latest, you know, seven steps to Christian power, your best life now. Or You're not going to see a lot of repentance in some of these other churches or other preachers. You know what you will get, and you know what is popular, is self-love and self-esteem, self-help, self-actualization, not repentance. It's really popular. Just, man, it's all you. It's, and I'll tell you what, I've, I've, I'm not impressed with this guy. Yeah, this guy needs to repent. I'm not trying to find a better me in me. I'm trying to find a better me outside of me. And it's Jesus who leads me that way. To repent is actually to turn around and to go the other direction, to speak the other direction, and to think the other direction. That's it. Just turn around. It's that simple. Repent. To repent. To go. I'm going this way, and it's wrong. Okay? And an immediate repentance is just to turn around, and I'm going this way. And the problem that some people overthink in their repentance is I can't repent because I can't put everything back I've ever done wrong. That's not what he's asking. He just says, turn around right where you're at. Did you know that when you folly and leave the shepherd, take off on your own goose chase, do you know that the shepherd follows you? Yeah, he leaves the 99 and he goes after you when you go weird. And he follows you and eventually you find out you're in Weirdville. And you're like, oh, snap, what the heck, dude? And you repent. And you're like, oh, and you turn around, ah, and he's right there. <laughs> dude, you've been there the whole time? He's like, yeah, the whole time. Like, you saw everything? All of it. Like, oh, no. What do we do now? He's like, grab my hand. I'm like, okay. And he leads you back. And you fall in love with him. And he cleanses you. And he anoints you. And he feeds you like a shepherd does. And he puts you back together. And he puts you with the other sheep. And they look at you like this. What are you doing, dude? <laughs> you know. <laughs> repentance is so sweet. Repentance is a gift for you. I've come to realize this in my own home. I, I wish I could tell you I was perfect. I'm not. Sorry to disappoint you guys. But I still repent often, like every day. I repent to the Lord, okay, all day. I repent to my wife when I've offended her, my kids, if I've, if I've offended them, my staff, if I've offended them. And I've come to realize that it's not a bummer. It's a blessing. It's a free ticket, okay? It's a free ticket to, to freedom, where the devil has no, no pull on my life. His voice is stopped. His accusations and the bondage of my own sin is broken. And the freedom of fellowship is established, it's founded. And God has given to us the blessing of repentance. It's not a bad word. It may be the most important word in your vocabulary. You repent once to be saved, and you're saved forever. And then you repent often the rest of your life. Martin Luther, that great Catholic monk, got a copy of the Bible, read it, realized that the church was amiss that the church had sinned and drifted. And so he took what is known as the 95 theses, and he pounded them there to the, is it Wittenberg or Gutenberg? I said Gutenberg this morning. Is that like a cheese? <laughs> I tried to take a nap earlier today, and I couldn't. I was like, I said Gutenberg. 
Nobody even corrected me. It's Wittenberg. Thank you. So funny. No one even knew, probably. And he took these 95 theses and pounded them to the Wittenberg doors, like a, a place you would community events and stuff and garage sales. 95 indictments against the church that they need to repent of. At the very beginning, in the very opening statements, he says this, the Christian life is all of one of repentance. The Christian life, the entire life is one of repentance. That we repent, that we continue to repent. We repent to get saved, but then as I continue to walk with the Lord, there are things in my life that he reveals to me as I grow that need to go. This is a blessing for you. This is not a burden. The Lord loves you as an athlete, as a student, okay, as an employee, as a servant, as somebody, as an as a, as a expert in your trade. He would say, hey, I see how you're doing that. If you put this down and pick this up, you'll be even better. Repent. Change your thinking. Change your ways. Now, before I go into I'm going to teach you a little bit more on repentance. Let me just put this out there for your thoughts. Some of you here may be watching online. We're on Facebook right now. Some of you who watch later, somebody here maybe would say, I don't know if I believe that, Pastor. Appreciate your passion. Appreciate everything you're doing. But I, I, don't, I, I don't subscribe to all of those convictions. I don't believe that there's only one way. Okay, I don't believe there's a heaven. I don't believe there's a hell. And, and I, just, I, don't, I don't buy into that. Let me propose something to you. If I'm wrong, okay, and there is no heaven, and there is no hell, there is no judgment, and you with your heart of hearts repent, and you give your life to Jesus, and you grow with him in his church, and you serve him, and you live an excellent life, you have lost nothing, and you have gained everything in this life. Guaranteed, you have gained everything, even if I'm wrong. But if I'm right, and you do not repent, and do not seek the Lord, and live your own way, you will gain nothing, and you will lose everything forever. Blaise Pascal, to paraphrase his quote, don't risk that wager. It's too risky. Go all in for Jesus. What if it's not true? You lose nothing and gain everything. What if it is true? You gain everything and you lost nothing. I know the guy that Luke Frechette was before I repented. We don't like him. Don't need him. And since I've repented and drifted away from that man and ran away from that man, I have gained everything. My life has changed through repentance, coming nearer to him, enjoying the benefits of salvation. And by the way, if you're still struggling with if it is true, okay, just look at the evidence, even here tonight at a small service like this, okay, the evidence of many lives changed. Those who said, I'll try Jesus out, Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good, blessed is the man who trusts in him, and lives by the thousands in Lincoln County, lives by the millions in America, lives by the billions in the universe have been changed by Jesus Christ. Every single person who has stepped out on the water of Jesus Christ has found a firm foundation for their life. Deliverance, forgiveness, strength, and healing. Purpose. Every single person. Okay? If you're looking for evidence, just look around. Looking for facts, by the way, Luke, when he wrote the book of Acts, he said there is innumerable evidences of the empty tomb, innumerable evidences of the things that Jesus began to do and teach. It was innumerable. He was a doctor, writer, theologian, historian. He said, guys, just what the heck? Is it even a question? Is it even a question? And I would just encourage you, what are you waiting for? 
Go all in. Put all your chips into Jesus. Well, I'm just going to go a little bit. What? What? Put it all in. You will not regret it. Jesus says to these guys who are trying to distract him and change the subject through politics, and he says, you need to repent. Repent. Repentance isn't something you just do once only. It is once to be saved, but it is something you do daily. It's so fun. You guys know the Apostle Paul, right? He wrote 13 letters of the New Testament. And when he would address his letters, he would speak of himself in first person. He would say, I, the Apostle Paul. And at one point he was writing his letters and he said, I am the, le- the, I am, I am the least of the apostles. I said, of the apostles, I'm the last one. He had humility. A couple years later, he's like, you know what? I'm actually less than the least. He, he kind of grew a little bit in his maturity towards God, but he realized I'm actually smaller than I thought I was. You guys know that Paul actually means small, right? His name was Saul, and he changed it to Paul. Saul means requested one. Saul. Paul means little one. <laughs> and he changed his name. Hey, call me Paul from now on, would you? Like, I'm just kind of done being the big shot. His name was changed to Paul. And he said, I'm the least of the apostles. Later on, he's like, you know what, dude, scratch that. I'm less than least of the apostles. And before he died, he wrote another letter. He said, you know what, scratch that. I'm actually the chief of sinners. Let me just tell you something, theologically. Paul, as he grew closer to the Lord, did not continue to sin greater. He didn't get worse. He actually got better. He got closer. And yet he was more humbled in the greatness and the grandeur of God. And the things that wrecked him when he was younger wrecked him still, but the lesser things wrecked him even more. This is beautiful. I find that I am wrecked by my own sins that are less sins than the ones I committed when I was younger, but they wreck me even more now. When I do this or I think that or I act that way, it's like, ah, and I'm broken because of the sensitivity that comes from getting nearer to the Lord. As you walk in a lifestyle of repentance, continually bringing yourself to the Lord and saying, hey, I did it again. I did it less than I did over here, but nonetheless again, deal with me. And the Lord says, grabs my hand. He says, let's go. And he loves me. And he deals with you. Now, let me just say something. I don't think, my opinion, that Christians can be sinless. Sinless perfectionism. I don't think you can. For a couple of reasons. Number one, I've never met a sinless Christian. Okay, if you think you're sinless, send me an email. We'll go to lunch this week and I'll, I'll make you sin. Okay, because I love you, you know. I don't want you to be deceived. I just don't think you can be a sinless Christian. I do think this, though. As a Christian, you will and are called to sin less and less and less and less and less your whole life. You are called to grow and mature, to move into purity and holiness and to become more like Jesus. That is yet, that's the maturation. That's the process. And maybe even tonight, the Lord, maybe even tonight, the Lord would call somebody here to repent of something that you have been doing for whatever amount of time, and it's been okay. You're saved, praise the Lord, but you've been holding on to something inferior, something small, something that's holding you back. And the Lord would say, hey, that was cool when you were a kid, but you're not a kid anymore. It's time to grow up. Let's get passionate. Let's get urgent for the things of God. This is what the Lord's going to do. And he might not bust you tonight, but maybe next week or next month as you're praying, the Lord would say, hey, wasn't that cool how you used to do that? We're done. Let's set it down for greater things. This is how it works in all areas of life, whether business or, or finance or education. You're always going from greater to greater. That's, that's the goal. Okay? You don't want atrophy and apathy. 
You don't want to do that. And there are certain things in our lives that you've allowed, that I've allowed, that's like, whatever. Maybe not even sinful, but just not helpful. Obviously, the sinful things in our lives, we need to deal with that. Okay, you don't need, remember what he said in verse 57 or whatever? Like, you know what to do. Duh, you're not dumb. You're just rebellious. But there are things in your life that aren't sin. They're just weights that hold you down. And if you would cut those off, you would move closer to the Lord. When Nemo, my eight-year-old, he'll be nine in July. He's crazy. When he was three, I taught him how to ride a tricycle. Okay, a little three-wheeler. But his feet kept slipping off, you know. And so I took some electrical tape, and I taped his feet to the pedals. You know, genius. Because I was getting frustrated. I was like, dude, put the pedal. Dude, just put, you know, and he's, and he's getting all, you know, crying. I was like, okay, no more. I taped his feet. I was like, there you go, dude. Have fun. And he was, it was awesome. He was just going in circles, you know, and until he would tip over, you know. I was like, ah, you know, I'm stuck in the saddle. <laughs> I didn't ask for permission from mom at all to do any of this, but... We got her done, though, you know. He learned how. But after a while, you're like, now he's got it. Like, cut the electrical tape, okay? Do it yourself. And eventually, let's move to a, a two-wheel bike with training wheels. You guys remember those with little kids? You got the training wheels? And it's awesome when the kid figures it out and training wheels. And eventually, though, the kid gets bigger and the training wheels get like, kind of bent up and they're all jacked up and they don't want to take them off because they're safe and they can stop anywhere they go. And you know when they're taking, trying to turn, they can't really turn with the training wheels and it's totally inhibiting them. At first, it was really important and necessary for their life, but eventually, those wheels got to come off. And when they finally do, man, that bike is magic. We are going places, bunny hops, we're all over the place. And that's how the Lord is with us. He says, hey, that was, that was all right for a minute, Okay. I, do, you believe, do you actually believe, this is a good question, that the Lord has more for you or that you're actually plateaued? I've already read Romans. I, you know, I went on a mission trip one time. I told that barista God loves him. I'm pretty much fulfilled. Yep, I did my part. It was awesome. Jeopardy's on. See, the devil wants you to think there's no more. He did it. He got there. He got the T-shirt, man. Jesus is real. Ah, good job. What if there's more? What if the Lord says, wait, what, you want to take the training wheels off? What, what if the Lord wants to put you on a motorcycle? By the way, when I turn 60 in 20 years, okay, when I finally reach that level of maturity, I plan on getting a motorcycle. Right now I'm not allowed to. I'm not mature enough. <laughs> Maybe a moped, but even that's a risk. <laughs> Repentance. Why? Because the Lord loves you. It's an opportunity for you to get nearer to him. Let me just give you three elements that repentance will have, okay? I want you guys to be mature Christians, full of the Holy Spirit, full of passion, full of zeal, full of purpose. The devil does not want you to be that. He wants you to be sleepy, small, quiet, neutralized, set aside, a non-threat. That's what he wants. I don't want that. The devil wants you to experience a certain level of victory and tap out. That's enough. That's enough. I don't want any more. And the Lord says, what? There's a great story in the book of Ezekiel where Ezekiel sees this vision of a man going into the river up to his feet. And the Lord says, go, go deeper. And he goes up to his knees. He says, go deeper. And he goes up to his hips. He says, go deeper. And he goes up to his waist. Go deeper. He goes up to his shoulders. And the idea is you can go as deep as you want. You can go as deep as you want with the Lord. You ever seen that person on the side of the pond or the lake waiting at ankle deep because they don't want to jump in? 
they're just like, ah, it's too cold, too scary. I heard there's fish in this lake. <laughs> and everyone else is there having a great time, just cannonballs and splashing. Come on in, man. I'm having fun here. No, you're not. You hate yourself right now, you know. You hate, you know, get in the water. And I believe, isn't, isn't it crazy? I think, like, we, we want something to be exciting in our life. Like, Lord, I just want to read that one book that just fires me up, just gets me going, just that one, just the secret, the secret to Christianity. No. What is it? I wonder if it's repentance. Just daily being real with God. Daily saying, enough of me. Man, I'm just so, I'm so dumb. Enough of me. And I'm not talking self-abasement where you're trying to beat yourself into holiness or punish yourself so you're worthy. Don't do that. That's not what I'm saying. That won't, it doesn't work. It's not fun. Three things. Write these things down. They all start with C. The first is confession. The second is contrition. And the third is change. Repentance will have all three elements if it's real. The first is confession. It seems simple. Confess your sins, right? With your mouth. Here's the problem. We can confess our sins with our mouth pretty easily, but our mind disagrees. You can say what is right and true if needed, but your mind is in disagreement. Have you done this before? Okay, it's easy to do. Real confession is when from your mind you agree with the truth and then confess it with your mouth. That in your heart you agree that's true and you say it. And in so doing, what you're also saying is, I am not true. You are right. I am not. You are God. I am not. I was wrong. You were right. And that's true confession. Okay? Fake confession is when you just say the words, but you don't mean it. Don't do that. Here's what you need to do to get there, by the way. You need to have your mind renewed. The Bible says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world but be renewed, having your mind renewed. Did you know there's patterns of this world? The Bible says that we can have our mind renewed by his word. And let me just put it this way. Some of you guys in here need more Bible in your life, more Christian books in your life, less TV, less Facebook, less talk radio, less distractions, less apps on your phone. Okay, you need to renew your mind. There's patterns of this world that will say, go here and go there, and this is fine. You don't want to be a part of that. Trust me. Okay? It's a fool's errand. And if you renew your mind, you'll find yourself saying, you know what? The Lord is right. You are right. And you confess then that he is right. A true confession. It'll change your life. Okay, I'm teaching this to my kids. They confess with their mouth and not their minds. Hello? Okay? Say sorry to your sister. You hurt her. Sorry. I don't know if you meant that, you know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's not there yet. Like I think that was I think you just pronounced a curse on her, you know. And the best, oh man. I tell my, my boys when they offend their sister, tell tell them sorry. And she's soft, she's a seven year old, she's you know, she's got a beautiful heart, and the boys are just their men, you know. And so they don't like hugs. She loves hugs, you know. And so I say, sorry, and they say, sorry, you know. I say, now give her a hug, you know, and I'm just pushing it there. As a dad, I'm pushing it, you know. So Noah will go up and give her a hug, you know. I was like, you know. I'm like, dude, that was a body check. Like, that's a hockey move. Like, the heck, it's not a hug, dude. And I get it. I get it. Okay. 
I get it, brother, sister. There will be one day, though, okay, just in that small analogy where they will hug each other. I have an older sister, okay, and I love her. I love hug. I just love her. And there will be, because their minds will change. They'll realize how great it is to have siblings. They'll realize that. So, too, when, when you realize how good the Lord is, the blessing of repentance, it's not a burden. And you will willingly confess he is right and you are wrong. And you won't just try and skate through it real quick. Maybe some of you are still trying to skate through it real quick. I've been there. I understand. And will, you'll come to a season in your life where you thank God that he allows you to repent. Because you know, oh, man, what was I doing? Lord, you're so right. I'm so wrong. And you beat your breasts in that way and find yourself cleansed and healed through confession, real confession. The second thing you're going to see in your repentance, in addition to confession, is contrition. This is not just agreeing that your sin is a sin, but feeling the weight and the remorse and the pain that your sin causes. It's actually easy to identify sin, kind of one-dimensional, black and white, like that's a sin. That's out of bounds, for sure. I know that. Any other questions? And then there's the next level where you're able to identify sin, and you're able to see the damage that it causes others, that it causes you, and the worst, that it caused your Savior, that your sin put him on the cross, lest you dabble with your sin and think it's not that bad. You know, I'm, I'm not here. I'm over here. And there needs to be a level of contrition within you for true repentance. I just ask you this question. Have you felt the weight of your sin? My kids are always asking to get baptized because I do baptisms all the time and they always, they always go. Dad, can I get baptized? Can I get baptized? And I'm just, I'm, I'm holding off for one main reason. Baptism is an identification with the suffering of our Savior, the death, burial, and resurrection. And while we can theologically adhere to that concept, death, burial, resurrection, I want them to feel that it was their sins that forced him to the cross. And the weight of that and the contrition, the healthy contrition that comes from understanding that my sin is not okay. Because if you don't think your sin is that bad, you're going to just do it again. Now just has, has your sin just, have you felt the weight of the murder that it caused your Savior to go through? Of the pain it's caused? I have felt this in my own sin. I have been so broken by my own sin that I couldn't even stand. Devastated. When brought full circle with who I am and what I've done. Snot blowing, eyes rushing. Because of my own folly. And even now when I, like Paul, am sinning less but confessing more, there's a contrition. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that again. I'm, I, I truly am sorry. I regret that I've done that. That's true repentance. Don't skate through it. Don't try and get over it. You know, don't, don't, don't say stuff like this. I'm sorry. You good? We're good? I'm forgiven? Am I okay? Are you okay? I'm okay? You're okay? I'm okay? We're okay. Ah, that's not real forgiveness. That's not real repentance. The Lord loves you. He offers you this. The third thing is change. The first was confession. The second was contrition. The Third is change. Okay, this is the change of your will that will change your works. And if you're really going to repent, okay, there'll be a change of your direction, who you are and what you're doing, and you will work at it. You will put everything you have in order to avoid that again, to say no to that, to avoid that pitfall, to deal with that attitude, 
to bring that addiction into subjection to the Lord. You will do whatever it takes. You'll call a counselor. You'll get a team meeting. You'll bring people in. You'll get crazy. You'll move out. You'll break up. You'll step up. You'll step down. You'll do whatever it is. And most of you have done this in areas of your life where you have to repent. I can't stay here. I got to move over here. I can't keep doing that. I can't have this phone. I can't have that account. I can't have this friend. I can't do that. No more. And it's a work that you continue to work at your entire life because that's what real repentance is. Repent. Repent and move forward. And this is something we always, for the rest of our lives, get to work on. And it's a gift for us who are believers in this day. Isn't it nuts that we're here right now? It's, it's nuts, just so you know. This is our gift. I'm so thankful. Last week I turned, was that last week I turned 40? I'm, lo- I'm losing my memory now that I'm old. I just, I can't remember things. And I'm, I'm thankful to be 40 because it's like halfway at best, right? And I'm like, what the heck? Like, we're, this is, what's, what's going to happen next is go time. You know, next round, halfway. Don't slow down. Don't turn down. What? Let's go crazy. What else, what else you have, Lord? You got anything else? <laughs> yeah, I do. How much time do we have? Did you know that the Bible teaches that your days are numbered? From the moment you take your breath, the Bible says that God numbers your days, and you have an appointment with death. The Bible said is that appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. How many of you guys have ever missed an appointment in your life? Like, oh, I missed it. Oh, okay. Or, or been late to something. Sorry, I'm late. You know, what? Guess what? You're not going to miss that one. You're not going to be late. You're not going to be early. It's already, it's done. It's in God's calendar. It's kind of cool. It's actually really cool. You don't have to worry about death. Like, don't even sweat it. Because God's going to take care of that. Like, he's, he's your, your day planner. But he does tell us that our days and dollars are given to us from him to invest in his kingdom first, and everything else will be added unto us. I'm under the impression that I'm going to live until I'm super old, not just kind of old. I don't know, though. I don't know. And I want to live every day as if it's my last day, as if it's a gift from God to me, and he gives us the gift of repentance to walk nearer to him. Repent or perish. There are only two choices tonight, only two. Repent or perish. I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads, and we're going to take communion. And the worship team's going to come up now and lead us in a time of response. Father, I thank you so much that you indeed are a gift giver. That you give us the gift of repentance. That, Lord, your heart is for us and not against us. The Bible declares in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that the kindness and the goodness of the Lord leads us to repentance. That, Lord, you love us so much that you would call us out of our stuff and out of the waters in fellowship with you. That's your heart, Lord. That even as we prepare to go home, people are going to drive all the way up north to Lincoln City and Otis and go home. They're going to drive all the way there. People are going to drive south. People are going to drive east. Guys are going to get on boats and go west. Lord, we've got stuff to do. We're going to do stuff. And you would tell us tonight, don't leave without me. Don't leave without leaving something here. Take those training wheels off. Set it down. No more excuses. I don't want to hear it. Step up, man. I want to transform your life. I want to make you new. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. If the world says it's legal, it's okay. We're all doing it. That's not enough. You do what the Bible says. 
It's the words of eternal life. It's the words of abundant life. It's the words of joy and peace and strength and happiness and purpose. And if you're here tonight and you would say, you know what I want to do? I want to volunteer for that. I want to just submit to that. I give my life to that. Would you just raise your hand right now if you would just give your life to the Lord and say, God, would you make me yours? Just take my life. Take it right now, Lord. Every area I've compromised, take it right now and show me. Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way and lead me in the way everlasting. If that's you, raise your heart right now if you want to just go all in for the Lord. And you're just volunteering. You're not making promises of greatness. You're surrendering. Just surrender to the Lord right now. Say, yeah, Lord, take me. I don't want to be deceived by the enemy. I don't want to do lesser things. Raise your hand if you don't want to be distracted anymore. Raise your hand right now if you want the Lord to give you a, a discernment to the distractions of this world. The things that are just foolish, taking you down the wrong road. Raise your hand right now if you want to be heightened in your sensitivity to the things of God. Lord, my hands are up. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Forgive us, Lord, of our apathy, our, our stupidity, our, our direct sin against you. Forgive us, Lord. We repent. We thank you, Jesus. Keep your hands up, Lord. Anoint those, Lord, who are here tonight, who are listening to your word being taught. May our lives be new and changed, Lord. Bust those training wheels off. Teach us to ride a bike. Help us to get in the race. Passion and urgency for the things of God. We love you, Jesus. Forgive us. I pray, Holy Spirit, you put your hands down. I pray you'd anoint us with the power to do these things, Lord. In and of ourselves, we're inept. We got nothing. But through you, we can do all things. We can part waters. We can feed thousands. We can do anything. We thank you, Jesus, that all of this is possible because you did everything for us. You died on the cross. You paid for our sins. You brought peace between that which we were enemies with. That is God. Now we can have peace because the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all of our unrighteousness. And I pray, God, as we come to the table tonight and take communion and honor you and remember your body broken, your blood spilled, that we would be set free, Lord. Bless my brothers and my sisters as they celebrate at your table. We are your kids, your sheep, Lord. Minister to us. Be gentle. And yet, Lord, be truthful. We pray all these prayers in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.